Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Gosh darn it, that came on fast and loud. Wow. Good evening. Wowie, kazowie. Anyways, uh... I wanted to get together a couple of days ago and you guys are so gosh darn busy. You couldn't do it, but the wow. mighty, <laughs> the mighty Dix Denny has passed from this earth. Um, it wasn't surprising news considering his health. It was sad, but then over time, you know, Chuck, the grieving is so strange. Like yeah. it's a unique experience each time someone you love dies. Like, uh, you know, when my dad died, I was devastated for years. When my mom died, I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that it was, whatever. Eh, what's yeah, on TV? Yeah. yeah let's see, what are we doing next? Let's get some black beauties and go to the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> I did. I went to the cuckoo's nest right after my mom's funeral. So there you uh, go. And then a lot of people have gone. I remember I was just in shock and I couldn't talk when Rob Graves died because the last thing he had said to me was, fuck you. And I, I just mm. like, that's not a good way to, and then like four months later, the person's dead. So um, I was trying what to about- apologize. I was trying to apologize to him and he, for breaking up the band. And he was like, fuck you. And he, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't having the old Bobby. I'm sorry. Apology. He wasn't buying. Did you make the puppy eyes at him? Yeah, I tried to. I tried to like Uh. have that that you know that tone. The the thing about I'm sorry, um, (laughs) is is like when you're sincerely sorry, you don't even have to say it. When you're saying you're sorry because you have an agenda. That's what I was doing. I was saying, I'm sorry. And I have agenda. Let's get the band back together. And he was like, fuck you. So, right. It's not the so, words. You can feel that shit when it's real. And Stobow. So we've had three members of Thelonious Monster die and Stobow. I talked to him like two days before. And he's just, this guy, Bill Stobow is just so full of crazy ideas and, Everything was an adventure. He was pretty rad. Man. He was a rad guy. And I had just seen him like two days before, and he had this weird thing happen where he got a blood clot on his heart valve, and then it went to his brain, and he was just like dead in like, you know, in like 24 Jeez. hours. And he was only, in, you know, he seemed old to me because he's like five years older than me. He was in his early 40s, I think. Now I'm thinking like, God, 43 or whatever he was when he Dude. died. That's young, man. But it seemed old back then. So this is the third person. But as I sat through the day with the information, and then Pete called me and Martine called and Flea texted and just like, you just start to realize what a big part of my life for my entire life Dix Denny has been. I was in a band with him for 38 years, Chuck. That's longer than most people have been alive. I was in a band with Dix Denny, right? Yeah. And he just never thought about it. He was just always there. You know, when uh, I called you, Bob, I called you from work. And it seemed like you didn't, you hadn't heard. No, I hadn't heard. 
Yeah. I guess he then, died on Friday, but then nobody found out till Monday. Like John, John posted it. Yeah. Like yeah. After, the, after the fact, but, um, you know, what was funny is I was at work and I was really busy and I was setting up bon actually Bonnie Raitt, you know? Um, and, uh, so we're working hard and we're blah, blah, blah. And I get a time to rest and I sit down for a second and I just start bawling, you know? Cause the whole is time this... I'm thinking about it when I'm working, but I'm around people, but I got alone to the spot and I sat down and I just started crying so hard, man. I was like, really, man. When was the last time you talked to him? I talked to him. A knee kid just died. Like, I think it was more than four months ago. Like, like, because John in his Facebook post said it was four months ago that a knee died. I think it was longer. But maybe it is four months. I don't know. It, like, you lose track of time. Ever mm. since COVID, I don't know what month it is. I don't know what day it is. It's just something. COVID did something to the world. Like, who cares? It's Tuesday or four or Thursday. Who fucking cares? So, but it seemed to me it was longer. But I had talked to him, and Pete had talked to him about getting the fuck out of there. So, Chuck, they had lived in this house for, like, 30 years. Yeah. And it was, and Who's they were. Dixon, his wife, Anik, and they okay. tended to like like stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. I'm not saying it's an episode of Hoarders, but there well, was I was going to say, is that a some, nice way of saying Hoarders? <laughs> I just think Hoarders is a horrible name for it. I don't like that. It sounds like whore for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> Never liked the hoarder. Like you just have too much stuff. <laughs> What's know? wrong with collector? <laughs> there's 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 a very yeah. thick line between collector and hoarder. They're not they're they're not. Well, the same here's shit. what I so some people say I'm a hoarder. I, I, you know, like uh, I don't know if I'm a hoarder. I just like cool shit. Like they saved newspapers. Uh, like there's no reason to save newspapers. Like random just piles of newspapers. If, if and the reason why. <laughs> is he might want to no but wait understand the reasoning dick said well you know we pack a lot of stuff so they're using the newspapers for packing the stuff oh, right, that right, they right. got that they put in boxes that they put somewhere so and we all have a little bit of this you know the only oh, person yeah. i know that doesn't the only person i know that is truly a minimalist is anthony kiedis that guy is fucking minimalist really? like yeah it's just like table Couch TV. What's happening, Sydney? Oh, thank you so much. You got your red hot chili pepper pajamas on. There you go. Sydney's uh, getting ready for bed. Thank you. She's so thoughtful. Brought me my glasses. Um, uh, but but most of us collect shit, and some of us have a lot of shit. Like I've got Joe Strummer's driver's license. I always tell people that. That's probably my prized possession of all things I own. I have George <laughs> Gershwin's. I have George Gershwin's funeral memorial book that people were given at the funeral yeah. that I bought in a thrift store in Palm Springs. Wow. And, and I have Joe Strummer's driver's license. I got autographed Henry Miller books. I got autographed Bukowski, you know, just kept collecting things. But when you're collecting uh, like uh, <laughs> cups, cups that you don't ever use, and then collecting newspaper in case you want to wrap some more cups like that. That might be that borderline of hoarding. I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You just brought up Joe Strummer, and it reminded me of a a thing I saw where people were arguing over Joe Strummer being murdered or not, and oh they God. they talked about this that there's a heart attack gun that that the government has. Oh they, can, they can cause you from a distance 
to have a heart attack. Well, let's just and, tear and, that right apart right away. Wouldn't they have done that to him when the class looked like a threat to the Reagan administration? I was going to say do that when the Muscularas are, are playing at the Viper room. Like that's that's when you want to really get Joe. Well, it's maybe, just, maybe, maybe there was a new record on the way. <laughs> I, I have heard a new conspiracy that kind of makes sense that LSD was actually put on young people that Timothy Leary was part of a conspiracy with the CIA to get all the kids to take acid and then they wouldn't want to change the government. I think it worked excellently too. I think it worked. Oh yeah. Phenomenally. I think, I think that's half the reason I don't fight with people about things anymore is all the acid <laughs> I ate. I really think it does it change. Really does. It does change your, you're like, I'll run the government. Let's kill Nixon. And you take some acid and you're like, you know, who cares? <laughs> you know, he's probably a nice guy. You know, you he, we're all, have you seen his dog? We're all human, <laughs> we're all human beings. Would, yeah, here. he's and doing so, the best he can. It's a hard job. <laughs> but but that day, it just started. I realized how much a part of Dick's Dick's was of my life. Like we just every aspect of it. Like I remember the first time he came to practice. Like. And John Huck kind of talks about it in the documentary, Bob and the Monster, like Dick Stenny's going to join our band. Like he's a real musician. <laughs> he's, like <laughs> a legend. he's like, he was a legend in 1980. <laughs> and I don't know yeah. how it went down. I think I asked him or Pete asked him or something like he was just around in our circle of friends. And I, and he came and I think, oh, you know who asked him? I'll bet KK asked him. Yeah, KK. we had, you know, KK from the Screamers asked Dicks from the Weirdos. But you understand, Chuck, KK was the drummer of the Screamers, right? He was the guitar player in Polonis Monster. And he yeah. had, he really didn't know how to play guitar all that much. And it was right? a joke band. It was like it a was fun a joke, joke band. band. It was, it was like, a fun band. I don't like the word joke, but there was a song called The Joke Song that's pretty good. <laughs> but but, but so Dicks comes to the rehearsal, and I remember thinking, all that whole day, all I thought is, is he going to want to play one of those weirdo songs like Solitary Confinement or New Trombone? Because I'm not really good with lyrics. That's what <laughs> I, <laughs> <laughs> I really remember thinking, God, if he, but then you realize like, God, we've been here for three hours and he hasn't said a word. Maybe he doesn't talk. Right. Because because if Keith Keith Morris would come to our rehearsals and tell us all what to do, and then he, you know, Pete would say, let's play Nervous <laughs> Breakdown, and then Keith would sing Nervous Keith Breakdown. Keith was completely the opposite. He was the talk opposite of Dick's Denny, right? Yeah, so we had these legends of punk rock hanging around our band. Why? I have no idea. And then back then but, he was on Coke, which made him even talk more. Yeah. <laughs> what you guys, here's, here's Keith at a rehearsal of Thelonious Monster in 1985. This is what you guys need to do. You need to like <laughs> minimize the guitars. <laughs> There's too many <laughs> guitars. You can't hear anything. <laughs> I was like, I think that's the point of that's four guitars. Yeah. That you can't hear anything. It just it's a wall of sound. Well, two of them, KK and Bill, didn't know how to play guitar at all. Chris and Dix did know how to play guitar. Right. But <laughs> 
But why waste that? We don't. We need KK in the band. But, with Stobau was the spirit of the band. Like but the he's funny the part one. was the funny part was Dix didn't mind being a mosaic in this like wall of sound, this wall of guitar. Well, sound. it wasn't until you guys got in the band. You were deferring, but Xander was not. So, so Chuck, I'll tell you the evolution. <laughs> so we've got we've got Dix Denny in our band, one of the great punk rock guitar players of all time. So anytime there was a solo. KK or Chris or somebody or Stobau would say, well, Dix, you'll do that part. So Dix was always known as the lead guitar player. He was the only one that could play solos. So we trudge along for like four years, just like it's a mash of noise amongst three guitars. And then there's Dix. But then as it evolved and Mike got in there, Mike's a guitar soloist too. So we wanted to defer and Dix and him would defer. But then Xander comes in and Xander's like, I'll take the lead. And Dix is there and oh, like, no, no, Dixie, you take the lead. And so Dix's role was diminished in the lead guitar playing once Xander was in the band. Mike and he went back and forth, I would say. But... But Xander, yeah, but I always yielded to Dix. I always looked at Dix. Yeah, first. but that's you're trying to be falsely humble. You liked playing solos too, Mike. But I'm not being <laughs> falsely humble. I adore yeah. Dix, and I don't. Well, that's not, that doesn't I mean was, you don't want to play know, a solo. But I would always like look to Dix to see if he was going to go. If he was going to go, oh, and he, oh, you're talking about live. I'm talking about the records. Like you're the solo on Sammy well, Hager I weekend. Did what I was told you're the on solo that. on Sammy Hager weekend. Yeah, yeah, but I did right. what I was told. You know what I mean? I did what I was told. That's all. You know, and when, I get that because I, I, I played with that people that I respect, too. and that's the same Jack, shit. Right? He did right? what he was told when he was conscious. That's one thing. Well, um, okay, that's fine. If you want to say that, that's good, too. Well, well, we make a record, you know, by the way, when Dix died, so many people talked about stormy weather. Like, it was pretty shocking. Because I thought they would talk about, you know, weirdos. And there was that my my group of people that I know were talking about stormy weather and, and, and Dix and whatever. So on stormy weather, we made that record, I think, in like 33 days or something. And, and I bet you Mike was there, eight of them. And half the songs are written by Mike and half the guitar solos are by Mike. How did you do that? In I was days? there because your memory is bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was there more than you, Bob. Well, yeah, I, I'm not saying I was there, but there was reasons for me not to be there. All, I was there all the time. You can ask Pete. Pete and I and Chris were... And we're there most of the time. Well, and, and Rob. Well, but after Rob, well, Rob was done, though, quit. he was Rob he was done. quit though, and then Smog plays on some of it. It's a weird wreck. I don't. Yeah, I was a heroin addict. I was a crackhead. I really didn't know what was going on. But we pulled off something pretty special with that record. But but I, Mike, I was there for the first two days, and John Doe was like, "Where's Mike Mart? Where's Mike Mart?" I, like, I had a hard time getting started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we got silly. going. We got going. No, you know, some, some great dick stories. And then like by the dicks. time of the end, Bob, there was that song called Bourbon Swagger. That was a day that nobody showed up. And, and, and Pete, you just and, did it by yourself? And John says, well, I don't know. You got something? I said, well, I'll try this stupid riff I got. You know, and that's all it was. That's a great song. So listen to this. So Dix, 
these are some of the stories me and Pete told. So Dix used to just come over to my house on Fountain and just stay there for like two days. And I didn't know him that well, but I would think like, where doesn't he have a life that he's supposed to, isn't somebody missing him right now? (laughs) And I remember I was kind of a bone vivant, right? I liked going places and doing things. Dick's not so much, right? So we're just getting to know each other and we're doing drugs and whatever. And then I would say, you want to go eat? And he would, uh, you know, have whatever drugs we're doing and sitting at the dining room table. And he would say, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would just say that word. Uh, no. I go, come on, let's go to Canners and, you know, like get out of here for a while. And he would go, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then, and then I'd say, well, we got to eat because we hadn't eaten in two days. Right. And he would say, I would say, well, we got to eat. You want to just go down to Fatburger because I, or, uh, 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 whatever it was called, um, the punk rock hangout. Uh, no, the, yeah, but what was it called? The punk rock hangout. Oh, you listen. Okie Dog was right Okey down Dog the street. was right down the street from my house. Like you could walk there. I say, you want to go to Okie Dog? And Dix would go, Yeah. <laughs> that's all he would say. And I would spend 48 hours with this guy, and that's literally all he would say. We were in Chicago one time, and Mike Mart, uh, and I know the drug dealer. I'm not going to say his name, but. He ended up becoming sober and becoming a big icon of Chicago AA, by the way. Yeah. But he was acting like a big shot. I don't know. He had cocaine. So me and Mike and Dix go over there after the gig. And uh, and this guy was well-versed in punk rock and knew that Dix was, you know, the real shit, right? So he's talking about the weirdos and talking about punk rock and whatever. Mike's in a bad mood and he gets irritated by the guy. And I'm trying to calm Mike down. Like, dude, this guy's giving away free Coke. We got to fucking, we got to <laughs> indulge this. And Don't fuck Dick's, this up. Through this whole night, um, Dix learned how to, because this guy kind of looked up to Dix or idolized him <laughs> or whatever. Dix would try to catch his eye contact and then he would look down at the table. And that, and then the guy, <laughs> the guy who's the, the Coke dealer would go, oh, do you want another line? And Dix would say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the same way he wants an okie dog. <laughs> and, <laughs> and somehow Mike and the guy got in a fight. And then Mike went outside and smashed all the windows all the way down the street of where this guy lived. Do you remember that, Mike? Mark? Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. And yes, I do. Yeah, I got back. I got like. Why did you not like that guy? He was I giving did, us free cocaine like, for all night. It wasn't that I didn't like him. It's that it was the vibe that was happening was he was kind of holding us hostage a little bit. You know, <laughs> it started. I didn't mind. Me and Dix did not mind that. <laughs> and like kind of trailing us on, like keeping us, keeping us. And then he would give you some coke, kind of like here, here, here's the carrot, and then pull it away. Here's the carrot. Here's the carrot. Pull it away. Yeah, yeah start, it start it. break it out, put it on the table, and then stop. Yeah, and, yeah you know, I, know. I, I got sick. I of was a hundred percent on board you. with that. Hundred yeah, percent. I wasn't. I'm not <laughs> playing little games, and so you know what I mean. Little coke game. <laughs> this is this is some deep '80s drug culture shit right here. So, so I got pissed off. I fucking about? broke his window in yeah. his bar, and then I walked down the street and I broke every window on the block. <laughs> that I showed him. Yeah, <laughs> and his neighbors. I broke his <laughs> window too. I broke his front door window. <laughs> With what? Uh, just fuck my fist.
Yeah, yeah, my kids genius. were tough. I had it. I had yeah. it. I had, had it. He'd had it. Game. There was too much time the between fucking, lines. Give me the fucking coke or shut up. You know, one of the <laughs> fucking come on. He's giving us free cocaine, Mike. Yeah. You can't got conditions bit. on it. Little you know, tiny bit. You know what, <laughs> Mike? I, I wish I wish I would have been there because I, I would have gone with you. Only oh, I would have ended up. Oh, you don't like that, Chuck? Did, did people do that? Wait a minute. Line. Wait a minute. Did people? Did drug dealers do that in the nineties too? Did they act all superior and like? It, in the, in the in the so, 80s I, in I was, the 80s yeah it, it, that's just one of those things where they i thought you're 10 everything. years younger than us i thought you're 10 Five. years younger than us yeah Five. people start playing power games with me man when i'm high i don't fuck i don't yeah. like, they're giving you free drugs yeah but I, we can take <laughs> something from their house and go get our own yeah, exactly, Chuck. Just steal something from fucking me. Yeah, you, yeah. exactly. you guys are street dwellers. I'm a sophisticated drug taker. I was like, I was like, I, I get along with everybody when they're giving <laughs> away free drugs. Kiss ass. You were yes, I was a kiss drugs. ass. Yes, yes, I was a kiss ass. <laughs> it's free drugs. What is I wrong with you two? Yeah, I know I how to rather... get drugs, though, and I'm not going to play. I'm not going to play. Here's a little Here's bit now. No, and, let's and go the... do it. Yeah, yeah, fuck, man. Oh God, you guys! I don't know. I I kissed many a drug dealer's ass. I'm proud of it. I know Robin Crosby once, like we were doing that with this guy who was like driving us all around and trying to, you know, just smoke a little bit of crack with it. And Robin just goes, "Look, just give me the fucking crack. What do I have to do? Suck your dick? I'll suck your dick." <laughs> 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 and he's like, I don't know if you, you know, we talk about Rob. I love Rob. He's such a great guy. And, but, but Chuck, you probably don't know is Rob was like six foot eight. So when Mike just told that story, I was thinking physically, how could he do that in any car? He could not. He's just he's a too big. Coke dealer, man. It was like fucked up. He was just doing the same exact thing, you know, giving us, yeah. numbers, keeping us well, around. I just, I just dealt with it, you know, cause, uh, anyway, so Dix had this way wherever he went, he was Dix Denny and people, you could recognize the specialness about him, both from the legend of the weirdos, but also just how peculiar he was and how, you know, he just like, you know, anyway, tell a story, Bob, like we did that entire tour and remember that one time uh we took acid and we were in that motel parking lot it was in texas and there's a drainage ditch and i had brought a fishing pole and I oh said, yeah you guys went fishing we I, acid. I said dicks come on let's go fishing and he says what <laughs> and it's like, you go out of curiosity he followed me he followed me to this drainage ditch that had like refrigerators and shopping carts and blah 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 but it had water in it <laughs> so i started throwing it and he goes we're not going to catch anything and uh <laughs> and so he but out of curiosity stayed and so i handed him the pole i said here throw it over there and he threw it over there and he caught a catfish <laughs> yeah, so i remember that he was so damn excited he caught a catfish he couldn't believe it but i often say about that tour that he probably said maybe five words on a two-month tour you know like he just had a different way of looking at life he had a different way of looking at life and here's an example we break down in New Mexico, Chuck, and me and Mike head out. We're going to go find the gas station or something. We're like literally in the middle of nowhere. And we walk for miles and miles and miles, and there's no gas station. But we see this Budweiser sign or this Coors sign 
-hmm. off the road across the highway, about 300 feet off the road. We go over there and it's just a bar. So me and Mike sat down and started It was drinking. a railroad car turned into a bar. If you I know. That. So we're just sitting there drinking and we had forgotten, you know, there was hospitality and fun people to talk to. And we kind of forgot that we were in a band and that there was a bunch of guys waiting back at the truck. Okay. I got to tell you though, Bob, if you don't remember correctly, it was before, <laughs> it was before El Paso, and it was a little one-bar town, literally a one-bar Yeah, town. but no gas station. No gas station, and there what? was a lady behind the bar, and when we walked in, she had her hand under the counter, and I'm positive she had it on a shotgun. Yeah, but I mean, we had a few drinks. The point is, we had a few drinks, and then I really forgot. We were, I think I asked people if there's a gas station or her if there's a gas station. She said like 12 miles down the road there was one, so then we're... You know, we're just having a few cocktails. And I guess the guys got really uh, not happy that we hadn't come back after about three hours. So they came out and then they found it. And I remember they walked in and I don't know if it was Chris Hansen was just livid. Like, where the fuck are you guys? And we're just sitting in a bar drinking. And Dix is just like laughing. And he walked up and said, Budweiser, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he could just switch right into, he might have been mad looking for us, but as soon as he found like a bar, like, let's have a drink. Yeah. What else What else can we do? What else can you do? We had a story that there was a guy in town that was going to drive us and go get us a tire. Yeah, he eventually okay. did. And then we were late to the gig and we didn't play in El Paso. Did we play or we didn't play? We did not make that show. We did not make the El Paso show, Chuck. But we had a few cocktails in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. But he came all the way <laughs> back to the truck. He got the tire. He drove us to El Paso. If you remember, there was two or three of us in the in, in his uh, tow truck. And he went to El Paso and he got or he got fixed a tire and then he brought it back and mounted and that's how we got the fuck out of there. I know, but we that's missed nice. the gig. I remember. But Dix, Dix was there the whole way, all through the high parts and the low parts, through the sideways parts and the upside down parts. It was always Dix Denny. And so then when yeah. Pete and I were talking, it's just like, this really can't go on without him. You know, it's kind of mm -hmm. like John Bonham. It really can't go on without him, which yeah. gave me a sense of relief and a sense of freedom all at the same time. I'm not saying that I won't play music, but I don't think Thelonians can really play without Dick Stenny. I, I just don't. I don't. He's just always been there. He wasn't going to be a part of this record we made, and then I begged him and bribed him and and um, uh, how, how guilted did, him. How did you get him to to change his mind? Why wouldn't he want to be a part of it? Because he was. He hasn't been well. He could barely breathe. He had emphysema really bad. I mean, that's what he passed away from. Was I'm he assuming. a lifelong smoker or something? Oh, he yeah. was a continue with an emphysema smoker. Oh, okay. He, yeah, I mean, you know what? You know what I mean? Just like, okay, go fast forward from when Mike gets kicked out in 90 or whatever it is. Uh, you know, you're getting kicked out of a band with four heroin addicts for drugs. You should use that as a wake up call, which Mike did. When fast forward to night, you know, uh, whatever it was we made that record 19 or, or 2019 when everyone in your band for your entire life is telling you you can't i remember pulling his vape thing away saying dude you can't do this while we were writing the songs right he's like yeah. vaping when we're writing songs and he's on oxygen 
It's just like, you can't do this, sticks. You know, and he's like, it's just water. And I was like, it's not just water. Obviously, it's not just water. Is it just water? That's what, that's what people say. Chuck, what is in vapes? Uh, de depending on the thing, it's a, it's a strange-ass concoction. And Do you think it's good? Let me ask you this. Do you think it's good for your lungs? No, I think I think someday we're gonna we're gonna there's gonna be a bunch of shit gone sideways and it's gonna be blamed on the harmless vaping and, and they'll be correct. Okay. Mike, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say that this is the vaping is the perfect junkie sort of thing where they have to prepare it. You see Chuck right now, he's preparing it. He's got something going <laughs> you on. See that? You see that right did talking there? about it, did talking about it trigger you, Chuck? And he's talking him, about it, him, he's like tapping it like it's a yeah, tapping it like a syringe. Tap get the like bubbles out. You get the, the bubbles out, out and then he's you gonna know those put bubbles it in can kill you. It's all the they ceremony, man. You see that? That's all you need is a junkie. You Chuck, get a, you you get a sober junkie. You get a little. You get a little thing of fluid. You got a thing. You got to charge. You got to keep it all in a little thing. It is a total kit, man. And I, I love kits. You should carry it in your fucking sock. <laughs> I, I, I keep it little i don't i don't get those big ones like people do because it's oh. not concealable i like to be able to conceal it yeah. <laughs> you know, a friend of mine i'm not going to say who he is but a friend of mine used to load up speedballs and put them behind his ear like you put a pencil behind your ear oh excellent. and then he we went out somewhere and he still and then i finally looked at him i go dude 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 there's a syringe behind your ear. Was it double like, B? No, no, it was somebody uh, else. But but we were in uh in the John's Market on on La Brea and Fountain in the middle of the day, and he's got a syringe behind his ear. Like you can see the orange. He had long hair, but you can see the orange cap. I was like, dude, 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 <laughs> dude. Why are we fucking, doing that? Right this now? is back for you millennials. This is drugs were very illegal, like yeah. in 1985. <laughs> yes, there in was 1985, a <laughs> you could go to prison. For that heroin. had to, that had to be somebody like Robin or somebody. <laughs> you keep guessing. I'm not going to say, <laughs> but but you get. But both of you realize that can happen. You're like all tweaked out and shooting speedballs all more night, and it's the morning, and we're going to get Martine. I don't forget. I think we're going to get tinfoil. <laughs> we're going to get tinfoil because I had stopped shooting it because Rob Graves had died. So that or no, Halel had died. So Chuck, do you know this? Like. When, like, we, me and Anthony and Flea had one friend that died of drugs. His name was Greg Lindborg. And it was so easy to dismiss because he was so out of control. There was okay. just, there, like, this guy right. was mad. Like, he smoked angel dust one time at my house, and I had to sneak, sneak out of my house because I thought he was going to kill me. He was so crazy. And he liked Charles Manson and he liked the Rolling Stones and he would sing along with the Rolling Stones and dance like Mick Jagger. And he was just, he was bisexual, crazy, and just like, just a nuts guy, right? I loved okay. him, but I loved him at arm's distance. So <laughs> he died, he died, and for the rest of us, it was like, well, it's fucking Lindbergh. Of course he did. You know what of I mean? course he did, yeah. Right. But when Hillel died, that shook me. Because I knew that I was a worse drug addict than Halal. So when somebody you don't think is as as is as bad a drug addict as you, or certainly not as sleazy as you are, um, 
that shook me. So at his funeral, I went with Rob Graves and we and my ex-girlfriend, uh, uh, and we're driving out. And I said, I'm never shooting. Because after a funeral like that, you know, what are you going to do? We were going to go do drugs in honor of whatever or whatever. It wasn't like we I didn't say, I'm never going to do heroin again. I said, I'm never going to shoot drugs ever again. And Rob, I remember, said, yeah, right. And I didn't yeah. from, from that funeral until... 1993 i did not shoot drugs so this was in that period and so a friend of mine was shooting speedballs and i was just smoking crack and doing heroin i had run out of tinfoil so it's like nine in the morning on a weekday after you've been up all night doing coke and heroin and i look up and the guy's got a loaded syringe behind his ear in the supermarket <laughs> like that's a <laughs> that's not good that's a not a that could that could lead to problems mm-hmm Right. Yeah, ab absolutely. You just said something that I that's happened a couple times to me in the last year that I've gone to somebody's overdose funeral with somebody, and then that person is gone now. Oh wow! I didn't that's, think of that. That's that's a heavy that's a heavy deal because you're at the funeral and there is all that heavy talk. And so let's all talk about you. You described earlier about whether you wanted to do a podcast tonight because he had a hard day is it the hard day there's only two ways to have a hard day at rehab and i've been explaining to everybody why i just i'm really i want to do groups and i want to help but i don't want to be emotionally involved with these people's lives anymore it's just so hard after 30 years of this it's just so fucking hard to watch these kids die week after week month after month it's just too much for me i i it just it really it really wears away on your state of mind about existence. And I think that taking a step back from aloe has been good for me. Like I'm more optimistic. I, I'm, I'm more, I'm more, I don't know, but being around death all the time, which is what being around a rehab is these days. Um, I wondered if it was that or just the pay, the clients are millennials. It's just sometimes it's just exhausting because, you know, in 12 step in recovery, you know, not in treatment, but in recovery, people are usually there. They're usually willing. Like they really, they want to do something about it. And when you have, or when I have like the kind of clients where I've got some that are there and they really want to do it. And then there are other ones that are just so full of shit for lack of anything else, just because they really don't have anywhere else to go and it's raining. You know, where I think right. if, it were, if it were sunny the last few days, I mean, I thought we'd lose some on Saturday, but maybe they checked their iPhones and they saw it was going to rain on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So they stayed. And it's just such right. a negative force. And the very best I and can so do they, is just Are to, you describing them as like, so they don't like to go to group or when they're in group, they say it's all bullshit and yeah, all why do, my I've money. Been, I've been doing group for years. I don't even want to do it. Well, you're, you're not getting it. Do you know where you are? Well, no, there's different ways. I, you know, I'm very sympathetic to that because groups are, we talk about individualized treatment plans, but we don't really do them. It's all the same. Not my groups. My groups are fucking amazing. Okay. 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 <laughs> Look at that. Was that Mike, you see what rehab does to people? Chuck, the nicest, sweetest man we know. Just got a little bitey with me. 
but see, I always thought individualized treatment plan is bullshit. It's basically the same. And you're going to realize that you're a selfish, self-obsessed asshole. And you're going to stop being that way little by little, right? slowly, but surely you're going to recognize that you're selfish and self-seeking, right? That was, that was always what was pounding in my head. And I realized it somewhere along the line, like that is pretty true. If I look at my life, my work life, I'm selfish. My personal life, interpersonal life, I'm selfish. I've been called selfish by almost everybody. And, and I was so resistant to it the first few times I went to treatment. But by the sixth or seventh time, I started to realize, yeah, yeah, what is that about me that I need to change? And how do I change it? And one of the things that was the trick of all tricks that works every fucking time is ask somebody else how they're doing. Stop whining about how you're doing. Mm -hmm. And and treatment to th at this point, because of the insurance in industry, is the exact opposite of that. We are constantly monitoring and asking them how they feel, how their belly button is, if there's anything that they had in childhood that we could talk about so that we could make them feel better. And it's all about them, 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 them. And, tr and true sobriety and true the counter to addiction selfishness is the other is you, 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 what can I do for you? How can I mm -hmm. help? How can I support you? How that treatment now is the opposite of what solves addiction. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's I giving, do. And, and that's taking the opportunity to teach them about that simple fact about caring and asking about somebody else. Well, and that's that's one of the things that I, that that it gets discussed all the time. That's one of the things that's well. What's sad is that I I I do I have like a a bunch of curriculum that I do at RTC level of care. So they go detox, you know, RTC. They're still kind of detoxing and still kind of like yeah, yeah. mushy. So I'm just I'm just trying to get them to be in the here and now to try and do that is total self investigation where it's like what kind of person are you actually. Because I was disappointed who I met. I don't think you can do treatment with those types of people. I understand the rush and the and they're going to be out the door in 22 days and all that. But, but if you're still detoxing, really everything you feel and think is, de is dictated by your uncomfortableness from detoxing. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a lethargy from the medications the irritability from not being medicated enough, withdrawals, post-acute withdrawals. The shitty beds, the, the shitty yeah. food, the well, shitty your body aching, the dogs. And, and, the yeah, so litter. I just always took like those levels of care. All they're going to do is complain. They have a right to complain because they oh, feel miserable. Right. But well, but what I'm talking about is, I you know, what I mostly focused was was PHP, well, IOP, really. I had that IOP house that your son was in for years. And the malcontentism and selfishness there is instilled all along the way. You know what I mean? Right. Like, cause they right. come running to you. Hey, hey, Bob, but you know, I, I, I miss my ride to work. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> what an idiot you are. And? What do you want me to do about it? Drive <laughs> right. you there? No. Okay. It's how life goes when you don't get up and out of bed and be out in front when the guy says they'll pick you up. Right. And call them and see if they'll come back if they won't figure out a way. You got a big brain. But so the the point, but the, the point of that where I was going with it is that RTC, they're still coming out of their sleep. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're yeah, yeah. just a mess. But HealthNet and MHN 
have been denying people RTC if they're not a threat to themselves or others oh, and if they're compliant with treatment protocol. Is that this new is that new this year? This this is new. I've just seen this the last couple months. So what yeah, I've got it, what Chuck, I've got it's March. PhD. They change the laws every fucking year. So you don't so, notice it till February or March that so, you're not getting coverage. So I'm getting people at PHP level of care. They're still are only detoxing. eight or nine days sober. I know. If I know. they're even sober, they're just barely off their uh their Ativan tapers. They're still on their Suboxone tapers. And we're setting them up and we're putting them in with people that are, uh, you know, IOP. They share the mornings together, you know, we're putting them with people well, that are IOP. I, you know, and it's you, just and are, you and me are the only ones that understand this. And what what the public and the, and the recovery world needs to understand is there's a solution to that, which is just divide the populations up. But that's illegal, according to the state of California. You know what I mean? So what I would say is th there's high intensity mm -hmm. PHP, low intensity PHP. The people that are day seven and they're still detoxing, they don't have to go to group. They can be on bed rest, but you don't get paid for them unless they're in the group and you don't get, and you can't right. have people separated away from other populations. You can't do this and you can't do that. When I started, you could do whatever the fuck you wanted. They cared about the results. Right. The fraud that happened from all the scumbags in Costa Mesa and Florida and, and, you know, God knows where else. I mean, those are the main fraudsters, Costa Mesa and, and South Florida. Those people then open the door to this constant scrutiny from the insurance industry and mandating this and all the documentation. When I believe like 90% of the providers were doing the right thing. We always have, and we always will. You know what I mean? But we're being punished for those 10%. And guess what? Those motherfuckers are long gone. Two of them I know are out on their yachts right now, sailing around the world. All right. You understand? Well, and, they're, and, they're, and they're not punishing me at the end of the day. They're punishing, They're punishing the, client. the clients. And then, they, and then they complain about the recidivism rate and right. pound us down more. Well, you got people in fucking IOP that are 13 days sober. How the hell does that work? <laughs> you know, when, when, when it's just like I'm looking at people and I'm going, you know what, man? I'm sorry you have to be in here. And then somebody else who doesn't want to be there starts up and it's just just a shit dynamic where we got people that are 10 days in sitting in with people that are 30 35 days in and they don't and they don't understand that this is going to put their stay at like 35 40 days total we're not they're going to give them a couple weeks of IOP at the end of it they're not going to have enough time to find a job save money get into a sober living there's no sober livings that'll take you on the I have a job I'll pay you as soon as I first get paid anymore it's all, um, and, and that's everywhere I've looked. So the frustration is with the, the machine itself and how it's malfunctioning. The machine, that's my, my frustration is the machine itself. And there is, we, you know, Aloe has a unique luxury that, that we're not wholly dependent on insurance. We are, I would say, I would say we're not even half, maybe half and half. But even with people who have the luxury of staying at the right level of care, we're not, it's not, I don't know. I don't know if it just doesn't fit this generation's attention span. I don't know how to slow them down. I don't know how to get them to think about the right things. You know, to me, 
I always knew the right things are friends, family, you know, like purpose. When you talk mm -hmm. about friends, family, purpose to a 22 year old, they have no idea what you're talking about. And purpose, no, yeah. the purpose, right. the purpose of life. What is life? You know, what, what do you, where do you want to live? What do you want to do? What do you want in your life? I remember at Hazelden, the second time I went there, probably in 94, they asked me what, what, um, they had this wish list thing where you made a notebook of what you wanted your life to look like. And I've always kept it. Um, I fulfilled almost everything in that wish list. It's like, it's like crazy. And that was like wildest dreams, what your life could be, that I would own a home, that I would have a consistent relationship, that I would be reunited with my son. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's Elijah, who's about to make me a grandfather in two weeks, right? Nice. So, so all the things I wanted, I even said I wanted to, like they said in your career, and I said I want to record a uh, um, a new, uh, you know, I want to record an album that really means something, and that's the Bicycle Thief. I did it. I did everything on that list. You give that assignment to, uh, I, I tell you, give that assignment to any, the longest term client you have, 45 days. They're not really going to know what you're talking about. Let alone eight days. Yeah. Eight <laughs> days. Like, yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, no, that's, that's the, uh, I think it's, I almost feel like it's uh, like I'm being aged out because I, <laughs> because I don't understand Cause I, I can't, I can't have that. I share my experience with somebody and they can relate and that they want what I've got when they, they don't want, they that, want. There you go. Wait a minute. There's there. You just stumbled on something. They don't want what we have. So why would they go to any length to get it? You think that they don't want what you have because you're counseling them and you've become an authority, you know, you No, they don't want to have the lives we have. They don't understand them. They want a transient life. If you talk to Gen Zers, especially, they don't ever want to own a home. I'm telling you, they just want to travel and be free and be unattached to anything. That's what because I'm they don't, Do but wait, it's a more fundamental thing because they've never had attachment. They don't know what love is. They only know this fake artificial community that they supposedly live in and it's thumbs up thumbs down they don't know what we know about the human condition and i don't know what effect that's going to have on our society but i know that they never want to own a home they can't think of like being married they would never bring children into this world i've heard it now for about five six seven eight years like they don't want anything to do with this and they want everybody to, they want all the rich people, they want to flatten the earth. They want everybody to have the same and just do nothing, right? They want, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? We've got, right. We've I know exactly what you're saying. And it all boils down to Russell Brand is teaching our kids. <laughs> that's what i think i think russell brand is teaching our kids how to how to yeah but they pick and choose what they listen to i listen to him joe rogan is educating our kids joe, joe rogan, rogan is the joe rogan is the new jesus the myth he, the the myth of silicon valley is always present everybody's going to be a millionaire but everybody should be a millionaire because it's unfair if there's some millionaires and not other millionaires it's just like it's a weird time. I don't know what's how it's going to play out, but 
in the meantime, I don't think treatment works all that good. I'm being honest with you. So can we do different things? Can we do new things? No, the insurance company mandates that we do things that were established in 1967. You know what I mean? We've got to bring in evidence-based treatment things. We can't. We can't do evidence-based treatment from 1967. (laughs) That's when I was born. (laughs) That's old. (laughs) But that that's when the that's when the pharmaceutical solution started coming in that's when methadone really goes into high gear once the vietnam vets are coming home that's when the methadone clinics roll out that's when harm reduction that's when a million different approaches up to the early 60s there was just religion and 12-step absence-based treatment and the whole society was kind of uniform about it all of a sudden this alternative of maintenance of 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 um of medications and then the explosion of medications in the in the 70s and 80s where a lot of aas weren't really sober in the 70s they were all on valium or 80s right? too the 80s it was a rough time for valium it was big yeah yeah so so you had these alternatives and then it just breaks wide open with this last 10 15 years where you've got every huckster and jive ass motherfucker as buddy arnold used to say um coming up with some different solution you can smoke pot and be sober you can do this and you do that when the fundamental thing of alcoholics anonymous and addiction treatment has nothing to do with substances has everything to do with your character your spiritual character your your moral character when when everything has moral relevancy because so i was i liked philosophy a lot in college and you know i went for many years just to get money from the government but but the first (laughs) the first thing i heard this thing called moral relevancy was david hume he was an english philosophy uh philosopher and he said up until hume which is like i don't know when it was like 1700s 1800s um that Hume said that the perfect society was always thought all down through the ages for hundreds of years was a society where all citizens told the truth all the time, that that was the perfect society. That was a moral society where where you could trust that what you were being told was the truth. And that's why all the, all the demonization of gypsies and, and all these different ethnicities and, and cultures where they don't tell the truth the the western european idea was a society is good when all its citizens tell the truth all the time and hume came in and said no 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 moral <laughs> morality morality is relevant to the situation and he gave one example and i remember it i learned it at la city, city college in 1981 i've never forgotten it. you're walking down a london street um, it's got gas la- lights and, and it's kind of dark and, you know, you can just imagine like a Sherlock Holmes movie. And a woman comes up to you screaming and covered in stab wounds and blood. Help me, help me. And look, looking behind her. And she then runs to your right and hides behind a trash can. A couple of beats later, it says in the David Hume story, a guy comes up with a knife covered in blood and says, where did she go? And the moral thing to do is to turn to your left and point down the street and said, she went that way. She's, she's right there. <laughs> That's the, the truth. Street. It isn't 
She's right here behind the trash can, right. sir. Right. right. The truth is the wrong thing to do at that point. Right. And so it was called moral relevancy. That has been taken to its logical, ridiculous, stupendously idiotic extreme in America in the 21st century. It's just like whatever you read on Twitter, that's your morals. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so thus, so thus Russell Brand and Joe Rogan and and you know Howard Stern said something crazy the other day that he believes that John Stewart could win the presidency. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I, you know, it's <laughs> John cute. Stewart. It's cute. John Stewart. Right. 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 So um, at least anyways. it would be fun. So rehab used to be fun, and now it's just like depressing, kind of. I don't well, know. you know, and it, it ebbs and flows, and right now I'm just feeling it. You know, if I ignored it, I would burn out. If I don't allow myself to feel it and recuperate and like, I got to acknowledge it and allow myself to heal up, to get going again. Otherwise that's why people burn out because they pretend everything's okay all the time. And yeah, it's, not. it's never, I've never, it's not, like o- it's not okay all the time, you know? So it's just like being honest, it's a pressure relief valve. And so it's just like, you know, it's just like, yeah, you know what? I really don't feel like talking tonight, but I'm really glad we did. Chuck, look at my burnout. How many people worked in treatment for 20 years and then lived in a sober living for a year with the clients? Like not many. Only sociopaths. (laughs) I mean, it's not. (laughs) Fucking crazy people. (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to make a deal. Here's my idea, Mike. You and I were. My idea was this. I'll do it. I'll just have them live with me and I'll change their lives. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's no detoxing, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Just be here with me. Great Bob for it. And we'll uh, fucking go to the 99 cent store and we're going to fucking do this, people. <laughs> and it just nearly killed me. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, a guy said this um, on my meeting yesterday. It's a Zoom and I was talking about how I think I'm a bad sponsor. You know, I just don't think like I'm good like a lot of the old guys were. And and the, he goes, yeah, you know what? You kill the first few, but you, it's a learning curve. And I was like, what? That is the most <laughs> fucked up thing I've ever heard. Only <laughs> one of those hundred kids is dead, by the way. And a lot of them are sober. But I had nothing. I think they used me as an example of what not to be. And then they found their way to a happy, peaceful, sober life. <laughs> You see, we, we don't know the part we're playing. Dude, we they, would, play it. It, they would not because I had that door put in right and I lived on one side and you would hear like after I said, after 10 o'clock, just text me. I don't want to hear knocks on my door. And you would hear. Bob. <laughs> Bob. And I would say, go the fuck away. And they would be like. Uh, knock, 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 there's knock, knock. there's somebody here at the door for you, and I'd be like, "Oh, get out of my way!" And I'd open the door. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so, you know what I mean? It was just uh, too much. It was too much. It was too much. And so well, I I feel for I don't everybody. Say it enough. I love you guys, man. Yes, I love you guys. I mean, Let's, love this, you guys too. Who knows who's gonna. And we this. love Smitty and fucking Wiley and everybody else and all the listeners and everybody that's dedicated to this. Yeah, I still you, don't man. know. Smitty wished me a happy birthday the other day, and I just still don't know. Like, 
I think I get it. Like, this is just community. This is just a bunch of us that have known each other a long time, just talking about old times and new times and current times and future times and what we're going through and what we're, what's going on with this message that there's, there's something really bad going on in our society. Fentanyl overdose is responsible for 20% of all millennial death. Yeah, just one fucking drug. That's yeah. astonishing. And they're still doing it. And it's you don't think somebody down. went like, hey, if we make this shit 500 times more powerful than heroin, it's going to kill some people? <laughs> yeah, you and your conspiracy. I think, you know, it's, it's funny. You go... You go like, yeah, I'd want to find some. If back in the day, I'd want some fentanyl. I probably. And then on the other hand, you go, you know, the Chinese are trying to kill us. (laughs) Well, both can be true. (laughs) (laughs) They're not exclusive, you know. And you were too. We were so into drugs. We probably would have said that. You know, that's all I'm saying. That was our lives. In uh, you know, in the in the. In these kind of communist countries, they always, in Iran, where I have a lot of kind of information coming from, Russia, China, um, Eastern Bloc countries before the kind of Westernization, there was always this talk of the decadence of the West. Mm. It's only in the last five, six, seven years I've really realized what they were talking about. This is a, this is, this is it. This this decadence of like take drugs and die. It's just like, mm-hmm. so not, you know what I mean? It's so, it's so crazy that uh, like when you tell a kid, you know, be careful what you're doing. You could die from is like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, like that's, that's, decadent. that's decadence. That's nihilism. That's a warped that is society. There, yeah. That, that yeah. is nihilism. That is decadence. That is a warped society. That's what mm-hmm. they were talking about. And and now it's I see it and I'm like mainstream Whoa, baby it's how mainstream do we, how do we roll back I don't think we can but we can keep trying all right you guys good night all right good night gentlemen bye bye and people <laughs> see you, Jeff. <laughs>